Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Welcome to the 303rd edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I'm Ben, and this is the second in our two-part series on the abduction and indoctrination of members of the Reed family in the 1950s and 60s and onwards. So hello there. And uh, this uh, is... all right. I'll take it from there. Thank you, Ben. Uh, before we w- welcome back our guest and eyewitness, Tom Reed... I didn't even say who I was. What if people you don't know who ben. I am? Fine. I am Ben. Okay. Are we having a... No, never mind. I right. just read the thing okay. wrong. Anyway, uh, Tom Reed, uh, we're going to welcome him back in just a moment. But before we do, I just wanted to say that it is time, of course, for our weekly contest. And last week's question was... What island is considered the most haunted in Antarctica? Now, most people probably don't think of the South Polar area as hotbed of ghostly phenomena, however. Uh, But we did get a correct answer, and the answer is Rose Island from Mark Mancuso of Hartford, Connecticut. Okay, and of course, uh, the ghost reports come largely uh, from the McMurdo Station, U.S. base on Ross Island. Uh, one particular source is supposedly the 1979 crash of an Air New Zealand jet with 257 people into Mount Erebus there, the largest mountain uh, in Antarctica, I believe. Uh, boy, talk about being off course. It's really... Oh, of course. How'd, how'd they end up there? <laughs> I don't know. I, I didn't have a chance to look up the background of the crash. I do remember when it occurred. Um, but not not a good situation. But anyway, it did, and, and that, many that's kind of weird. Well, manifestations are supposedly uh, blamed on that. So. Well, anyway, so this week's question is a very local but very difficult question. On what beach near Newport, Rhode Island, was a door in the sky photographed in 2010? Okay, no. And if you can handle that, call us locally at 401-766-1240 or from anywhere in the U.S. at 800-449-1240. And if I don't announce a winner during the show and you still think you have a shot, drop a line to me at ben at behindtheparanormal.com. So the winner will receive a copy of Turning Home, God, Ghosts, and Human Destiny by my dad. Now, part one of this show aired on CBS Radio in Boston, Pittsburgh, Detroit, and Seattle, and on the Internet last evening. Uh, some people say they don't like us to do that, but I thought it was the best way to handle this subject. Uh, there is, or shortly will be, a podcast of that show available at BehindTheParanormal.com and at CBS News Sky Radio. But for those of you just joining us, let's re- reintroduce Thomas Reed. Now, Tom uh, is the son of a prominent Connecticut lawyer and politician. In the 1950s and 60s, he and his brother Matthew were just two participants in what has become known as the Reed family abduction case, which has been called one of the best such cases ever officially investigated by the Mutual UFO Network, or MUFON. The case also involved their mother and grandmother. Uh, now, the website you can look at is www.tomreed.info. Tomreed.info. Tom, welcome back to Behind the Paranormal. Thank you very much. Okay, Tom. Let's uh, let, let me just review briefly what we talked about last night for those of those who did not hear it, and then correct me if I miss anything. Okay, we okay. essentially talked about the first two abductions that occurred uh, while the family was living in Sheffield, Massachusetts, in Western Mass, uh, not all that far from here. And what what occurred was that. Uh, Tom and his brother Matthew uh, were abducted uh, at night by uh, what appeared to be uh, what we, we found an interesting description: glowing, ghost-like aliens. Okay, uh, who also fit the, I suppose, the the, the basic uh, ideas of the of the greys or, or whatever you want to say that, that a lot of times will turn up in abduction cases. This occurred uh, on their property. They were taken out of their rooms and brought in the first case to a, an area in the uh, sort of Appalachian Trail vicinity of Sheffield, which was, of course, very rural. And then in the second case, uh, the where we stopped last night, uh, the mother and grandmother also witnessed the there was an electrical storm going on and various uh, uh, lights were coming through the window, and this, this is where we pretty much left off last evening. Also, the... the um, the the feelings and uh, other phenomena that occurred around the abduction were interesting as well. Usually, abductees are not given the courtesy of an explanation. 
they're, they, they are just taken uh, with no explanation. The medical experiments are performed on them. They are terrified. They try to fight back but can't in many cases. But none of this seems to have occurred in the Reed case, at least so far as our, in, our, in our story uh, that, that we've covered so far. So what we apparently have is uh, a more benign uh, sort of phenomenon going on here. And the word indoctrination was used. It was used in the Mufon report and in our discussion with Tom last evening. I've, uh, ben and I find that very interesting. Oh, yeah. Uh, because it, it implies that these people were known to, to whoever was doing this, that there was a certain cooperation, cooperative relationship that was going on or was anticipated. And the question is, well, cooperation for what? What's happening here? Why certain generations? Does this have to do with DNA, genetics, what? Any, something we can't even fathom? Who knows? So let's pick it up where we left off. Uh, Tom, so was that uh, pretty much what we said last night, eh? Yeah, that was... Uh Pretty good. Uh, if I could have set up that easily, we would have made that a lot quicker show. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you did a fine job, I'm, and, and tonight I'm sure it'll be just as interesting. Okay, uh, let me. I'll start off with the first question here. When did you realize this wasn't? Obviously, you said your mother and grandmother were uh, starting to experience things themselves. So, is, is this when you realized that it wasn't just you and, and Matthew who were going through this? Well, actually. Um you know, 1969 was, I think, when it all came together because the four of us were, were together at the same time in a vehicle when it happened. Okay. The only thing I can tell you that's interesting about this is that we mentioned the willow tree, which is something that has been very symbolic to us. And uh, a point of interest is that that happened in 66, and it wasn't that much longer that my mother had gone out and actually, for whatever reason, um, bought a willow tree and planted it at the uh, watering hole where our horses drank. And and my brother and I have discussed this um, repeatedly, that uh, none of us had even had any inkling that she had done any, or ever saw that herself. Um, and she doesn't even remember seeing it herself. But it was just odd that even her uh, has planted the willow trees where she's lived and so on and so forth. So, yeah, the willow tree uh, seems to have been a symbol that, that stuck with you, and we'll talk more about that. But So uh, it, the ice was not broken, so to speak, among the family until really 69 when you could talk about all this amongst yeah, yourselves? When, uh, after 69 was when, um, you know, they put the house up for sale and, and we relocated. And you would have been about yeah. 10 years old? Yeah. Okay. And, uh, okay, before we get into where you relocated, uh, I, well, actually, let me ask you, what, what, did you relocate then? Was it to Glastonbury, Connecticut? No. Um, it was a neighboring town outside Sheffield. Oh, a neighboring town. Okay. Okay. Half hour away or so. All right. And uh, Ben's going to give you one right. of his questions so, here. What can you tell us about the symbols that you saw on the inside or outside of the craft, if there were any symbols? Well, there were. There were there were two tables that, um, and when I say tables, I, I mean more like a, an operating board of some sort. There were two. There were two that looked like a, an L. I could see underneath them, and they were relatively low. Even at, even at seven years old or whatever, I could still see, you know, just the top of it. And they did have um, what looked like C's with a with a, a dot or a, a slash in it. I remember something that looked like an F with some dots underneath it. And at the time, they did look um, raised, almost um, like Braille would be at a bank, you know, so when, what have you. But uh, that's the way it looked to me. I don't know if it was raised, but it appeared to be raised. And the symbols looked to be in a a brownish or or goldish uh, tint to it. It wasn't, uh, you know, that chrome thing that most people will reference. Okay. Uh, let me just interrupt here, Ben. I'm sorry. Uh, on the second and subsequent um, abductions, did you, as in the first abduction, were you shown anything on a screen, the, the star chart or, or whatever you were shown the first time? Did the that repeat? The second time around, no. The, the second time around, we... Once my brother was brought to me, we were we were separated. He actually went back down a hallway, and I was taken through an open area and into another hallway that joined that same room. Okay. Uh, do you recall any experiments being done in you, such as other abductees describe, or what what happened to you during this second abduction? Well, as far as that goes, uh, in '66 and '67, we don't really remember much with respect to that. What I can tell you is that my brother uh, did remember 
my brother had a club foot and he had a brace on his leg. And he does remember them looking at his leg. He does remember that. And he also, when he panicked in the, in the house before he was brought to, to meet with me, I guess the best way to word it, he had grabbed a toy. And he remembers having that in the room while they were looking at his leg. But aside from that, that's all he remembers. And as far as once I was brought out to this other hallway, that is pretty much the end of my my memory on at that point until we were brought back and you know my mother looked for us on horseback and the lights went on around the place and that okay. sort of thing. Have you ever been hypnotized to regress you back actually, to this place? Yeah, actually, um, they, they've asked me that uh, before. And one of the, the as far as being going under hypnosis for anything that's happened to us, no. My brother and I agreed to see a um, see this uh, doctor who was looking at evaluating my my son for some certain things which you know about and i had gone there and this is long after the investigation this is only like last year where we were trying to see if we could recall anything particular about a particular moment um so technically yes i did for about 45 minutes or so but it was had nothing to do with the investigation itself okay all right uh ben you had a Okay, so you mentioned your family's blood types. Have you ever noticed whether people in other abduction cases have similar blood types to you and your family? Well, the RH negative factor seems to come up a lot, and I ask that question uh, pretty frequently when I have a conference or what have you. I, it's amazing how many there are RH negative, either O or AB or, or A. It's more, it's more than half, usually. Strangely enough. Wow. All right. And, and has uh, the medical community in the subsequent years followed up on that? I don't want to jump, the, you know, jump too far ahead here because we want to talk about your son and his remarkable uh, abilities <laughs> that have been inherited from someone, apparently. But uh, has, the, has the, so the RH negative thing has factored in that discussion as well? I don't know if it, if it really has anything. To be quite honest with you, it's just one of those things that seems to have taken shape. Um, I would have to agree that uh, there does seem to be a significance to it, only because everyone in our family is RH negative. Now, we're not all O negative or what have you, but with respect to my son, it's been brought up that, and this is just, I'm quoting someone else, it was said that Time Life magazine had actually done an article quite some time ago and found that the only link between those who had heightened senses with respect to ESP seemed to have the RH negative factor, and that was a Time Life. Interesting. All right. Mm-hmm. Now, in 1966, uh, there was another outbreak of these experiences that started with orbs and holes in the air. Uh, that, that's a special interest to us because of our work with this, these parallel worlds that we do. Uh, can you tell us about the experiences in your case with orbs and holes in the air, as you described? I know this well, goes back to the beginning. That, yeah, that's ba- that was basically the, you know right around that first night the, when we. We're talking about that uh, kind of alarming uneasiness, that potency in the air that you could pick up on that created that self-generated anxiety and that whole bit seemed to stem from from what we saw as, um, there were about three or four that we saw at, at, at one time around our, our window um, near our bedroom. It was kind of above the window to the right. And they looked pretty much um, smaller than maybe a small, um, small coffee plate or a uh, maybe six or seven inches. And okay. It was kind of weird the way they, one moment you could actually see it pretty clearly, and the next minute it was very difficult to see, and then it, you'd see it further, maybe three or four feet off to the left, almost like it just kind of evaporated where it was, and it kind of slowly and somewhat of a silhouette or or um, ring-looking thing that you could spot it again. And we thought with the, my brother and I thought that when they were more pronounced, you almost felt more of a, of uh, this um, this energy, and then when they faded out, um, it kind of fluctuated with that a little bit. And yeah, it would have been the way we were looking at it, but it didn't look like a typical orb that you would see today—that white fuzzy type of thing. It was more like a ring. Yeah, it was, it was, it was sort of a bluish um, rim yeah, around it, that kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, that, that's very familiar to me from from uh, quote unquote ghost research. So that's what fascinates me about your experience. I mean, I'm wondering, you know, what what what, what other parallels we're going to discover here. Um, okay, at any point in all of this, 
or in your life at all, have you had other seemingly unrelated paranormal experiences, ghosts, increased psychic no. abilities, cryptid sightings, no. things appearing and disappearing in your house, time, space slips, anything like that? The, the only thing that I can tell you, yeah, the only thing I can tell you is this. When my son was first born and we were in Fort Myers, Florida, and had actually attended the same, um, uh, I guess, abduction group at the time run by Tim Wilson, who actually, um, uh, was it, uh, Sparks actually had gone to that same meeting back then in 94. There, when my son was, let's say, I'm going to maybe four to five weeks old, my wife and I had, um, you know, laid him to bed, and he was on his back with his little water, his milk bottle, and and, um, and about 3 o'clock in the morning, my, my wife and I both woke up after having what we thought was, at the time, the same dream. It was kind of strange. And we got up, and we, we ran across the uh, living room because we just had this feeling something was wrong with our son. And we passed, when we went through the living room, the rocking chair was moving, and our son was face down in the crib. And, and ever since then, we've, you know, we thought, you know, here, here we go, something's happening again. And we really couldn't explain it. That's the only time anything like that has really happened outside something that we pretty much think we have a, a handle on, if you will. Well, face down in the crib, that, that, that could be pretty dangerous. Uh, what, have you at any point felt uh, any kind of negativity going on, any kind of hostility from anything? No. Okay. No, I, I just... Obviously, though, he wasn't strong enough to move himself over. Yeah, which, yeah. Again, isn't something we talk about a lot, but since you had... Sure. Yeah, well, no, no, you don't have to talk about anything you're not comfortable with, but it's just all sort of part of the story. Uh, let's go back to 69 and uh, the the sort of, uh, uh, I suppose, thickening of the plot in the sense that uh, you realized it wasn't just you and your brother. Uh, what did you What did your What did you and your mother and your grandmother and your brother talk about him? How did it... How, how did you discuss it? How, what, did you come to any conclusions about what it was all about or what the, the purpose was? Well, I think the best way to answer that would be that my grandmother was extremely traumatized that um, fall of 69 after we were all um, all back in the car. And um, everyone was very shaken up. Oh, that, that's when you saw actually saw a craft altogether. All yeah, it looked like yeah. a. My grandmother referenced it as a, like a flying strip mall that was behind the car, and, and uh, she was definitely the most affected by it. And it was at that point, um, when I say that point, I mean within that few months, uh, we were informed that this had happened with my mother in '54, and um, and in that case, uh, I just came to a you know a decision to to just sell the farm and, and move on. Okay. All right. So you mentioned your your stepfather. He had no experiences whatsoever. How how did he feel about you you all talking about this? Well, he came into the into the picture later on, and, and it's not as if when he when he was married uh, to my mother at the time when things started happening with my son and, and my wife. And what I what I mean by that is some of the stuff we just shared with you, and, and the fact that. He um, he knew about it and respected it. He didn't. I wouldn't say he. It wasn't like he didn't believe it because he was. We knew this was happening. I mean, he was around us the entire time back in the '60s. I mean, he was still around and involved and and, and grew up with our family in some respect, knowing about this all along. So it wasn't like it got thrown into the lap. Although not personally experiencing it, I think he was looking at things a little bit from a, from the outside. And probably why he was, um, you know, writing a book about it later on. Hmm. Oh, that's okay. well. Let's take this into a different area. You mentioned something about the reptilian. So, where did the reptilian come from, or where did he come in, or it? And what's it all about? Well, I'll be honest with you. Um, that, which is probably on UFO Facebook, I didn't actually write that. Um, we. At the time that was posted, it was written by someone else who thought they knew our case better than us. <laughs> well, we, well, I know the time. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, everybody's an expert. Yeah. Um, it hasn't been until recently that we've started to use illustrators and, and be able to get out what we actually saw. And um, 
And at this point, too, I've, I've kind of strayed from, um, you know, using tabloid type of uh, terminology, if you will. Or just I, All I can do is kind of sketch or draw what we saw and have someone else put it together and, and then let everyone else make up their mind. But this particular being that we saw was nothing like what we have seen, you know, throughout the Internet or what anyone else has showed us or, or, or discussions that have come up in the conferences, if you will. It really kind of looked more like um, it had that head of kind of like an ant. The um, it was goldish, and the body was more teardrop, and, and the legs that it had um, were kind of stick-like. And um, so I, I sketched it when I was about uh, ten or twelve years old, and and uh, had given it to an illustrator about um, about three or four months ago, and he finally finished it. And um, and I don't know what you'd call it. Um, but uh, everyone else seems to have a name for it, and that's kind of where that came from. Yeah, what, when, that was seen in '69. One of the reasons uh, we ask questions like that, Tom, is because I'm always fascinated by the uh, the microbe phenomenon. You know, the Europeans all arrived here, and the, all of a sudden the natives all started dying of diseases they had no immunity to, and to which the uh, Europeans did. Uh, and yet the Europeans don't seem to have picked up anything from the, na- the natives. I don't know. So one would think that if these are aliens in any classic sense, travelers from another planet, which there right. may be serious doubt about that, is um, w- were they wearing any sort of apparatus? W- when you have uh, the, the uh, so-called reptilians or anything, sometimes uh, uh, they have uh, apparatus, such, such as in some ancient uh, petroglyphs and supposed... Uh, uh, carvings of ancient civilizations where they're supposedly, uh, in, you know, talking about uh, alien, uh, ancient alien astronauts, things of this kind. Did you ever see right. any of these creatures that had any sort of uh, mechanical devices on them? What I'll, what I'll say is this: the the first encounter that we had in six, well, '66 and '67, they were all very, very similar. You would not be able to tell A from B, and the uh, the lenses that they they had on their face. Uh, and so on and so forth, looked to me to be somewhat of a, of a hood of some sort. So it did look to me like when they were outside, they had this very light sheen to them, maybe like a 2-watt bulb or 1-watt bulb. When, when they were in the craft, they did not have any of that. Mm-hmm. Um, it looked like they still had the lenses on their head, but I, I'm not going to say they looked like they had hoods anymore. I think those lenses are just eye covering. As far as what the other being may have been wearing it looked just to be raw in itself so the only time I would say that they looked to be something covering them as a whole you know, would be when the little short looking figures were outside did you have any physical reactions to any of these encounters in other words you know did you have allergies rashes scoops in the skin you know you know you know what I'm getting at uh, any sorts of diseases yeah. you couldn't identify? Well, we did walk away. Um, I would say we noticed around 67, 69 that I had a perfectly round mark on my right arm and uh, about a little bigger than a pencil eraser that was perfectly circular that wouldn't tan for a very long time. Now, whether I, I can say that that was contributed to that, uh, I can't say for sure, but everyone else seems to have a, an opinion on that. And, and uh, I guess the scoop mark is considered to be pretty, uh, you know, a pretty uh, yeah, regular yeah. thing, I guess. Well, when, uh, I, I don't know if I mentioned this to you, but when uh, Bud Hopkins and I met in 03 uh, at a conference we were both speaking at, we compared notes and uh, photographs, and, and many of the photos he had of abductees with physical marks on their arms or legs, whatever, matched exactly some of the things I've seen in poltergeist cases. Yeah, I was going to mention that. Yeah. Mm. Which seemed really interesting. So in any case, be that as it may, so let's go back to 69, and you moved to a neighboring town. Uh, did all this seem to follow you from your farm in Sheffield? No, um, it didn't. Okay. And we were pretty, uh, everything was pretty quiet. It was, uh, 69 was definitely the most horrific experience that we had, but after that, it seemed to just... Uh, you know, our lives just went on, and then we pretty much just kind of left. Okay. You know, talked about it amongst ourselves, and, and just kind All of. Right. Sixty-nine being the sighting you were describing. 
Well, it was more of a sighting. The four of us were on. Okay, well, why don't you tell us more about what happened? Well, well actually, we're going to take a commercial not... break, and then we'll be, okay. be right sure. back to give you a chance okay. to collect your thoughts. Okay. You got it. All right, everyone, you were listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Van Eno on WON 1240 AM, com in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. And we're talking with with Tom Reed uh, of the Reed family abduction case. Very, very interesting stuff going on. And very somehow kind of different, as we said last night. Anyway, we'll be right back with our guest. Wanted to tell you about Amazon Kindle Fire. Of course, it is the newest version of the Kindle e-reader device on which you can get all kinds of books, newspapers, and uh, magazines, uh, up to 900,000. But here we go a step farther, uh, released in November, ready for, for uh, holiday uh, gift-giving, is the Kindle Fire. $199, you can get movies, uh, all sorts of information, uh, downloads, websites. You can surf the web. You can do all sorts of things. And plus, still get those 900,000 books, newspapers, and magazines, including four of my books. Uh, and I'm sure that uh, just about all the guests uh, we have on the show, too, are authors, and they have books as well that are available on Amazon Kindle. So, again, check it out, AmazonKindle.com or Staples. Staples has these uh, marvelous devices as well. So check it out, Amazon Kindle Fire. So we were. Uh, I was going to ask you too if you could describe um, uh, what actually happened in '69 that was, as you described, horrific. Yeah, this is where where everything kind of took a, a 180. Uh, until that point, we hadn't really had anything to really uh, look back on, and and whether or not we remember it or not, I don't know, but. As far as if something did happen, we don't remember anything horrific happening until this night. And we were, I was actually in a horse show. Um, I believe it was Butternut Basin Ski Resort, which actually I was having a horse show that fall. And uh, my saddle had come loose, and, and um, my my mother was uh, going to take me out for an ice cream. I'd gotten a brown ribbon, and I was upset. And, and so she had someone else take the horses back, and we were heading back to, uh, you know, to uh, Jeffield. And, uh, yeah, it wasn't uh, that late, maybe uh, 9 o'clock or so, 10 o'clock, but it started getting dark. And, and uh, after we had stopped, we had gone by a little store there, and I had picked up some fireballs, those little red fireballs, and I was giving one to my brother who was in the back seat in the, behind a passenger seat. My mother was driving, my grandmother was in the passenger seat in front. And, um, and she had turned around because I was, she thought he was too young for it, that um, he could choke. And so when she turned around, she had seen these lights out through the back of our, our Bel Air station wagon. And, and um, you know, uh, we all turned around at that point and started to look at what she was looking at. And you could see these just lights behind this line of trees. Now, the road to the left of us was higher up. It was like a little bit of a hill, and the trees sat up on this hill. And off to the right, it was pretty much open. And we were driving kind of along the side of this, say, mountain, but... Uh, sure enough, but, um, she referred to it as later on in life as looking like a slung, you know, street mall. It was huge. Hmm. And, um, you know, there's, it looked like it was pacing us a little bit, but it was probably so big and we saw these lights flashing, which was probably us, you know, driving through these trees that made the lights look that way. But, but sure enough, um, like you hear about, we had been, um, watching this for a few minutes and the next thing you know, the, the car came to a stall and it had gone off to the to the right of the road, and um, the rocks were were being picked up by the tires and, and uh, hitting the bottom of the car. It was kind of one of those silent type things when you hear the stones and mm-hmm. and um, the car stopped. And um, shortly after was that eruption of crickets that I've mentioned before that we yeah. heard, and it was just everywhere. I mean, even for years after that, when I heard crickets, my my hairs would stand up. It's very Lovecraftian in a way. You know, something was creating this, and, and and this is the part we don't really remember exactly what happened to this farm. We were all separated. I the next thing I remember, I was in this huge hangar area, and Travis Walton and I talked about this a lot because there were a lot of similarities with his case here. And what happened yeah, Travis Walton, the famous case uh, was at Arizona, uh, where he was mm-hmm. abducted, and the movie was made out of it. Uh, uh, I, I, go go ahead. Yeah. I just wanted the case. Yeah, this, this part of it actually mirrors a lot of things that happened with him oddly we actually have an article coming out together on it but the what happened here was i was in this in a in a room that was probably i'm smaller so everything seemed bigger to me back then 
but I would say the ceilings had to be at least 20-something feet high, 25 feet high, it was huge. It was, it was like being inside a, a room that was about the size of four football fields. And I was that maybe when I came into this area that was empty, there was nothing in there but a couple carts or whatever it was next to me on my right-hand side. I couldn't have been more than, than maybe 10 feet from a wall to my right, and there was a wall behind me that was almost almost leaned against it, which is where I, I believe I came in. And if this was uh, hypothetically a football field, I would have been at like the uh, five-yard line on, on the far right side, and everything to my left was just open. And I just, I was waiting there, and it wasn't that much longer that I saw a figure uh, come in directly in front of me. It came in maybe 15 feet or so, very similar to what we saw earlier, but without that, no, nothing uh, lit from it at all. Uh, very much, you know, similar to what people would reference today as like a half humanoid type of thing. Mm-hmm. And it stopped. It didn't. And normally, there would be a calm or some something that would come over me, and I and I would feel more, uh, uh, you know, easy about it. But it, but it wasn't. It wasn't like that at all. And I had walked up to this figure, and I was taken by my left arm, and I was taken out this area that I was in. I went to the right outside this hallway. I was taken down a hallway, very similar kind of a lit up type of thing. I don't know where the light was generated from, but it was bright quiet, and it came to uh, like an intersection. It could have gone right, which these hallways are very narrow in comparison to what I saw later. And then I was taken to the left and then right into this room. When I came into the room, there was a table to my right that was pretty much butted up against the wall right as I came in. And the room was pretty squared off in front of me. It was a, a flat wall to my right. was flat under the side of this table. And then where I came in was flat, but the wall to my left kind of came inward like a cylinder. And in the cylinder, there were two pockets. On one, at the far side was another exit, and on the inner pocket was where these two that I, I referenced that I've never seen before, the, the, you know, the egg-shaped head type of thing with this weird body and legs. There were two of them facing the wall, almost, uh, let's say not even six six inches a foot away from the wall. It was very close to this wall. And so I came in between them and the table. When I came in, I was to sit on this thing, which was actually very, very low. Everything was pretty low. I didn't have to jump up on the thing. I tried to face this cylinder-looking wall, which was contoured inward. And I backed up to the table, and I sat on it, and I was, had my eyes on these guys, these two on the left. And there were two more human-like-looking ones that, have, you know, when I say that, I mean, they're not looking like us, but similar. In, 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 yeah. In were, were your family anywhere near here? <clears throat> no, I heard them later. You heard them later, okay. But, so I I sat there and I was uh, very uncomfortable. And, um, and, the, and it was... Uh, well, what did they do the to first you? Time that, well, the first time, it was actually one to my right, too. And that was, usually they were always to my left, but there was one to my right. And I was, I don't know if I was going to lay down or whatever, but um, I, I jumped off the table and I had gone past these two on the left. They had turned for a moment, and the first, the only time I really saw what they looked like, ran out the side of this, this right side of the room, and I had come between the, the, the cylinder and the wall, and I came out into this uh, intersection, the hallway, that was larger than, say, a basketball court. This intersection was... This, the walkway itself or the hallway itself had to be more than you know 20 or 30 feet wide and there were three hallways that joined it I came off in it and to the left of it there was a hallway to the right that um, was almost like a, like a Y and I came right out pretty much in the center of the Y straight at, basically straight ahead it was off to my right but again I came off to the left of this Y I could hear voices in it pretty sure. I was listening to see if it was my mother or whatever, a family member or whatever, but I did hear voices. I stopped and what I do remember about this is there were actually some type of grayish, blackish markings on the, on, on the floor where these hallways turned and um, more or less like, um, like a crescent moon shape and then I was taken back into this room which I really thought at this point if I was going to be reprimanded it would have this would have been what would have happened. So you were frightened? 
Oh, yeah, this was nothing like before. This yeah. was not an indoctrination. This was totally different. This was cold. This was regimented. This was fast-paced. There was no, you know, are you okay? <laughs> no. Yeah. The way it felt before, not that that's, but that's what I took from it the earlier years. It doesn't mean that. That's just the way I felt about yeah. it. So uh, what did they, I, I'm not trying not trying to rush you here, but we only have so much time. But what 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 did they do to you? Well, at that point, I was on the I was put back on the table, and there was a uh, what looked like the top of a tanning bed or a, or a MRI machine that lowered from the ceiling. It had um, holes in the side of it, um, and then when it came over me, there was a way for them to reach underneath it. There were three um, what looked like. Uh, rocks, I, I referred to them as stones when I was young because I don't remember them being perfectly round and they were on some type of a pad. The one was put on my leg through the left side, actually, the only one I remember is on the left. The left, the left side of the um, hole towards my leg and there was one towards my side. There was one up on my face. And at that point, I kind of, I, that's when I, last thing I really remember. What's interesting about that is Travis actually had a situation like that. We'll, if we have more time, we'll talk about that later. But but we were, at that point, all returned to the the car. Okay. When we got back to the car, I was behind the driver driver's seat. My mother was actually in the passenger seat when she had driven. My brother was curled up in the back. So they put you back in the wrong place. <laughs> my, my mother was, yeah. Yeah. And my grandmother was in the middle of the road. In the middle of the road? It was about... About fifteen or twenty feet up, and she was okay. walking kind of, uh, oh, like aimlessly, did not any direction. And there was a there was a store that was about uh, just up ahead from her on the left hand side. It was like a hardware store of some kind, and she was walking in that direction. And I had, um, I guess, I was the second one to come out of it. I was got out of the car and I was walking up to her, and uh, she just kept kind of walking towards this store. It was like lit up with yellow lights. It was probably about ten o'clock or so, getting ready to close. And she had walked in the, the front, it had like a bay window on the left, one on the right, door in the middle, and you had cement steps. It was a real old beat-up store. And she walked into it, and uh, there was a... I followed her in, actually, and not too far behind her. And uh, she walked straight to the back of it. There were bicycles and carriages and, and uh, you know, strollers. And, and she had gone into the back wall and kind of circled around and got behind these bikes, and I standing on the opposite side towards the, the front of the flight controller and I you know, let's go Nana, we've got to go. You know? So she didn't seem to be herself. No, she was definitely not herself. And she was pretty placid but moving on her own as if she was in you know, just totally out of it. And so I grabbed her hand and started to try to pull her, but obviously I was on one side of the bike, she was on the other, but you know, I was a little shook up too and and so what she did is she ended up t- pulling her hand back and put her hands on a, on a stroller, one of those big ones with springs on it and whatever, and started to roll it back and forth as if there was an infant in it when she was trying to get it to go to sleep or something. And it was very creepy. And then she pushed yeah. it forward, pulled it back, pushed it forward. It just was not... Receptive. So how'd you get her back into the car? Well, I finally just, after a while, I said, Nana, you know, I yelled Nana, and um, finally got her out of there, and she was walking by the by the clerk again on the way out and she wanted to stop and say, say something to him and I told her but she never said anything to him that I remember and I just kept kind of tugging at her and when she got outside the store she just teared up and broke out of the tears and my mother was up at that point and, yeah. and um, how long did it take her to get back to normal? well we, we got home and, and um, my mom put the, the house up for sale probably within uh I don't know, I remember she sold the horses right away, and then uh, she sold the property. We had two, one, on one side of the street, we had 45 acres, and on, on the other side, we had 35, so 35 to her boss, um, right right off the bat. Got rid of the horses, and I'd say we were probably probably out of there within three months, two months, okay. and uh, moved immediately. All right. Now, let, let's let's take it up. We're just going to have to move on here, because we haven't got, haven't got much time. L- okay. Let's move on to your own... Your son, and, and as much as you feel comfortable talking about, we, we, we can okay. we can talk about. So, tell us about what. So you grew up and married, and um, your son right. manifested some interesting abilities. Well, it, it it's something that seems to have followed the, our three children, including when I when I say that I mean my brother's two children as well. Uh, my son probably has had more experiments done or tests done or 
exams, if you will. Um, it, it is kind of uh, unique, and we didn't, we weren't looking for anything. It was just something that we we, we noticed, and the teachers noticed. I mean, my, by the time my son was in first grade, he was moved into a gifted program, and and um, you know, by third or fourth grade, had had beat an unbeaten chess pro in, in Florida, where he went to school and was a member of People to People, and he was testing for like 140 IQ, and he was in and he was blowing out numbers for the superior class by fourth and fifth grade. I mean, it was crazy. And um, he was just doing things in numbers and calculations that he shouldn't have been able to do. Now, whether we can attest anything and say that is, came from anything outside normal development, I, I certainly can't attest to that, but I can certainly say that what he is, is able to do is very unique. And um, later on, he was uh, tested by Michael Buckner, that uh, was a Ph.D., and this was just a couple of years ago, and he uh, went through uh, several days. When I say days, I mean, you know, three hours here, came back a couple hours and another day, but over a three- or four-day period, he tested with dinner cards and remote viewing and different types of, uh, you know, uh, just, you know, just tests in general for aptitude and IQ, everything. And, um, and Michael Buckner actually put in writing um, on September 15th of 2010 that my son did in fact um, show some signs of, of remote viewing and, and that um, you know he was uh, certainly a remarkable young man in, in that respect okay and, but but uh, no one no one has found uh, alien DNA in your son uh, so far at least oh no no I okay it's just that it seems like whatever happened with us um, we think that it's possible I'm gonna say it's plausible that something was also maybe give it back. My, my brother had uh, punctured, you know, wounds over his uh, parts of his body where they looked like they extracted maybe some hormones of some sort, which, yeah. you know, you've got the information on that. And, okay. and it made us wonder, you know, uh, was it the two? Oh, of course. Tom, let me ask you this. Have you at any point or your family had experiences with what are, are dramatically called the men in black in any sort of agents or, or, or I don't know you hate to, it all sounds melodramatic but any sort of harassment any sort of observation surveillance uh, you mentioned uh, last night that when you were on we, we were on our show we had some trouble connecting and, and we uh, especially yeah. on the CBS version of the show have a lot of experience with strange unexplainable interference when we have guests who talk about subjects right. such as this have you had anything like that going on in, in, in your life all along yeah, I, and normally I would say no because I, I just think it sounds a little out there. But yeah, it does. with everything else, I mean, it. it I, I there were uh, you probably saw this in the um, MUFON reports or the CMS or what in Star Team reports that yeah we had um, an individual across the street from our house a few years ago, um, right around the time this Michael Buckner thing happened. Of course, he was killed eight weeks after that report came out. We had a cameraman across the street uh, put up one of those long white Canon lenses um, taking. Out photos of us. Uh, we have a quad. My son jumped on a quad, chasing down the street. He jumped in a burgundy SUV. We've been, you know, we've had uh, situations like that. But then again, you know, we also live near a nuclear power plant. There's a lot of government cars around here anyway. But you know, that's the first time we've had someone taking pictures of us. I can also say that we have had an FBI agent in our house. Um, we have uh, someone who has investigated our case. Who you've got paperwork on, actually. Um, has had uh, he's been followed when he was after or around the time he was investigating our case, uh, but that's something he would probably need to tell you. But so it has happened now. Whether and it's not um, something that can be explained by anything else. I mean, first of all, nobody. I'm not that important that I need somebody with a telephoto line to take a shot at me from behind a bush. So mm-hmm. it's uh, you know, they're why I don't know. Okay, we have no idea if it's. It was kind of uh, something that happened uh, a lot for a very short amount of time and then nothing. As far as being harassed, I guess, or followed. Okay. So I want to go back to your your son uh, for a second. Has his artistic ability excelled at all? It's about the same. Well, the reason yeah. I ask is there was a uh, guest we had on the show n- uh, not too long ago, or maybe I, I, I confused dates because all, all the shows run together. He um, he was a seemingly average kid, 
and him and a bunch of his friends actually had a Mothman encounter. And then after that, his artistic abilities like skyrocketed. So did his his math skills and all that stuff. So like some stuff that kids couldn't do. In this right. day, he's still like he's he's ridiculously smart. He's an architect. He's an architect, right? A blue Yeah, he that. So I, I was just trying to. I was equating that with how your son is ridiculously good at math. Yeah, we try to find commonalities in these cases because so many of them are so right. ultra personal. When you find a commonality, it often can be educational. So I'm sorry to, but so is that the case? As Ben asked. Well, he actually, to be quite honest with you, he was having more fun with it a few years ago, but. Um, now that he's a senior and, and so on, um, you know, he doesn't, uh, you know, really uh, have as much fun with it, I think. But when, when I say that, I mean that you could take, um, and this is witnessed by several people that investigated our case, you can take a series of numbers and come up with a calculation and remove some numbers and an answer and so on and not give him the numbers you started with and just give him the five numbers in the answer and eight out of ten times they'll tell you what number you took out of the answer without ever knowing what calculation you started with hmm. and you can do that with you over the phone I mean if you want to call sometime and do it with him they'll do it with you I mean he can do that how can he do that I have no idea how old is nobody he can no- explain it how old is he now he's 17 17 okay hey, not, not, mm-hmm. not that much younger than you Ben I know <laughs> no oh, what a small world yes all right, so after all this stuff has happened to you, and we stretch this over two shows, what do you think this has been all about? What's your opinion on this whole situation? Well, um, you know, obviously we haven't talked about 2009 a whole lot as far as, you know, what took place there, but it would seem to me that whatever took place with my mother in Maine, whatever it was, uh, there were there were two girls. My mother was 15 and, and her friend was 15. And they had the same experience on the same night. Very similar experience. And they both had children. And I, for whatever reason, I think that, um, it, let's hypothetically say the RH negative factor plays a part or something biological played a part. Then it would make sense that whatever it was that my mother had in her, they were looking for it on. And with that said, maybe this indoctrination, as I worded it, is, is what we believe probably was, you know, was the first time that they were checking to see if this was something that um, they were going to follow through with. And then, of course, 67, maybe that was their first attempt to to do whatever. And um, in 69, obviously, was, uh, you know, all of us at once. And then again, nothing really happened except for our children to have some, some form of uh, ability that we don't have. So the parents don't have it, but they do. And um, so you have to ask yourself, well, was this something mutual? like I mentioned earlier. Then, of course, in 2009, uh, my brother's son, you know, Wyatt, who was going was six years old, going into first grade again, around the same time frame that these things have tend to manifest themselves or, or you, you notice things, was the one we had the biggest case of all. And, of course, there were magnetic fields around there, which we think is what causes us to feel a certain way and, 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 and kind of gets you in that... Um, like a manipulated or influenced state where you're controllable. Mm-hmm. And, um, and the radiation, I think, speaks for itself. But that was a, that again was the youngest child turning six. And every time one of our children seemed to go into school for a second grade was when things, you know, tend to happen. Now, whether that's just a, a coincidence, I don't know. But we have three children and, it does seem to have be a pattern there. Yeah. So others have said, sure, it looks generational because of that. Mm-hmm. There's definitely something something going on, and we're still looking into it. Uh, but it does seem to be biological. Yeah. Well, a lot has been said about genetic experiments being carried on by whoever this this is. Uh, obviously, as you know, there are many possibilities uh, aside from aliens from other planets. I mean, that's entirely possible, I suppose. But uh, the uh, we tend to, at least in our experience, lean on sort of the multiversal explanation of using parallel worlds and the, 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 the sometimes very easily traversable boundaries between them. And of course, that doesn't mean people aren't from other planets, but whoever they are, there seems to be a one commonality seems to be the the notion that there is some DNA repair going on 
the opinions that we've had, especially from the fellows involved in the Rendlesham NATO base uh, intrusions in 1980 by these craft, were that uh, maybe there there are some uh, uh, people from our remote future who are not aliens but actually us or our descendants who are attempting to repair their DNA by taking ours that has been there is some evidence for that but again we get to it and as we always say in the show Tom we really just don't know so we want to thank you for being with us uh, over the last two shows we're going to do this again and we'll be uh, we have a lot to I think we have a lot to talk about off the air and uh, okay. thank you again for the material you sent today we'll be reviewing that so um, we'll be talking to you soon, and thank you again, and um, very Merry Christmas to your family. Thank you. You too. Thank okay. you, guys. Very good. You're welcome. Good night. Bye-bye. Good night. Good night. Okay. So that about wraps it up for, our, for the I guess, the year here. Yes. And uh, so we just wanted to remind you that uh, you can check out all our podcasts, over 300 now, at BehindTheParanormal.com. You can buy my books on that site. You can subscribe to our newsletter, which is still in suspension because I'm still we haven't had a chance to get to know the new software yet, uh, you can also become a site rep- a reporter for the show as well. We always have a need for good people to do that. And uh, certainly, many thanks to our producer Steve Bianchi. And we will not see you live again until January second. This next week's show, the day after Christmas, will be a rebroadcast here on 12:40 a.m. And on our regular CBS edition. It is actually on Christmas, and then there's New Year's, so there will also be a rebroadcast. But we'll be back live on January 8th. Okay, and we'll leave you this evening with a thought from a 19th century English cleric named Sidney Smith, who was considered uh, the funniest man of his time. Wait, you know why? how funny they got between 1770. He was a witty guy. Well, okay. Well, 1771 <laughs> to 1845. Uh, try to quote. Try to make at least one person happy every day, and then in ten years you will have made three thousand six hundred and fifty people happy. So hey, what? That, that's what he said. In ten years? Yeah. Well, you, what are we going to recheck his math? Then that doesn't. Then then wouldn't it be like ten thousand people? I mean. Well, I don't. That's what the man said. Maybe he was a very funny guy, but he was a lousy mathematician. Actually, no. I think he's right. Never mind. All right. Okay. Oh, well, Sorry. whatever. Continue. Well, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll ask. You didn't finish the quote. Well, I ran out of it. No, th- that's enough. Uh, if you get a question, to- I can imagine what you'd say to the rest of the quote. Anyway, the thing is, make people happy every day. Make people smile uh, at least once a day, and you're doing a great thing. So, thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey. We'll see you next time. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.